welcome to the Good Luck Club podcast. My serial entrepreneur guest today is Max von Polnitz. He will tell us about his experiences of building a business from scratch and what it's like to push through during the coronavirus. Max, welcome. As the founder of Nosh, one of my favorite delivery businesses, um, I, I'm excited to talk to you. Maybe we can start off the podcast by you telling our listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Simon, for having me. Um, I'm, I'm calling from, from beautiful Hong Kong. So uh, a little bit about myself. I uh, have basically lived a third of my life in the United States, a third of my life in Europe, and a third of my life in, in, in Asia. Um, so I'm nearly 12 years now in Hong Kong and Singapore. Um, and I started my first business in 2008. 11, so nearly 10 years ago now, um, and I'm now on my fourth, um, well, actually, I guess maybe fifth, but um, so, yeah, it's been a hell of a journey the last nearly decade. Um, before that, I was in, uh, in the corporate world in uh, real estate asset management, um, and I wanted to become a professional golfer when I was 18 and completely failed at that. Well, I think there's plenty of people that wanted to be a professional golfer and failed at that. But did you actually try to do the circuit or you just realized you weren't good enough at golf? No, no, I was, I was pretty good at, at 18, 18, 19. I, uh, I wanted to, to get in the, in the, I was pretty, very good junior player. And, um, to be honest, uh, I, uh, I didn't commit the way you're supposed to commit. Um, probably learned a lot of lessons for later in life around business and, and how much you have to dive in full on. Um, and, and at 18, I, I think I was just all over the place a little bit. Straight off the bat, great insight for our listeners there. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's basically application. You can have the skill, right? But if you don't apply yourself. Absolutely. So what, what, um, what uh, for you, what is success? Oh yeah. You, you, you wrote me that, um, as like the first question. And that is just a power, power question. Um, I, you know, to be quite frank, I think, you know, success is, is very difficult to define as an objective truth. I think it's a very subjective reality for most people. I think a lot of people might define it as wealth, maybe power, maybe some form of happiness in their work-life balance. Um, I think, I think for me, um, you know, I am, I do think I define success partially by, you know, how free you feel, um, you know, the, the freedom to go, you know, do anything or invest in anything or, or get involved and follow your passions and follow your desires. And, 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 and so that's a, it's a very kind of opaque <laughs> definition. And for your businesses like Nosh, how would you define success for that company? Oh, well, oof. I mean, I don't think we've even been successful, to be honest. I mean, it's, um, I mean, we've had a lot of success in, in Asia, but we, we certainly have not really done anything dramatic, um, I, you know, outside of Asia or outside of Hong Kong. Um, I mean, success, I guess, I, I would define business success you know, in a very kind of archaic manner around, you know, revenue, how many staff you have, 
um, and, uh, and, and what sort of impact you're making on your customers. So I guess I, I really define it as number of customers, I guess, right? Like I'm, I'm interested in how many people can experience my product or experience, you know, our, our vision of, of what the business should, should promote. And that comes with customers and clients. It's, uh, you're a humble entrepreneur and I'm going to defend you for a second and say you have built a great business that's, of course, gone through highs and lows. But I, I, I personally really love what you've done. And I think yeah, you are humble, but, um, but, but I do think it's not easy to build a business. There's a cultural thing around what you're doing too, right? And, and people, people cooking at home and so on. It's not, not that easy. Uh, for people to understand what you're doing, but you've done a great job. I, I don't, I don't like to hear you say you don't think you've achieved much. I don't, I don't agree. No, no, I, I, I think, um, I think we've had a, we've had our ups and downs. I mean, we've had a lot of excitement. I mean, the, the most exciting thing that probably happened to our business was um, we had Alibaba invest in the company in 2016, and then we had Delivery Hero invest in the company in 2000 late 2018, which is a publicly traded company in Germany. So we've had a lot of highs, but we've also had a lot of lows. Um, but I think the, the most kind of proud thing is, is that, you know, we, we serve thousands of customers. Um, well now, now nearly more than, I mean, tens of thousands uh, a month and well, a week, I guess. Um, so I think it's, um, that, that's probably the most exciting thing is just watching people interact with the product and experiencing it and, and enjoying the food. Yeah, I mean, I, I think without doubt, you, the market leader in Hong Kong, if anyone ever thinks of ordering food home, I, I think of you. And, I, and I, I also think it is a big achievement. I mean, for anyone listening in, in, in Europe or America, they still don't know Alibaba, which shocks me. I'm still surprised how many people don't know Alibaba. To me, it's like a household name, but they're one of the largest companies in the world. They're three times the size of Amazon and they have invested in you. you now, that alone is an achievement. I haven't achieved that. You know, so I think, you know, I, uh, I'm going to build you up for a second. I think it's important that, um, you know, you recognize, you, you, you do recognize it. But I, I do think and this takes me on to the next thing I want to talk about. You know, like I do think sometimes as entrepreneurs, when we're in the thick of it, we don't always appreciate it, right? It's, um, you're, you've got a business that you built up from scratch with ten, tens of thousands of customers. To some people sitting there right now dreaming of starting their own business, you've made it. But you're probably comparing yourself to the market leader in the US that has millions of customers, right? Yeah. I mean, I, my, my, my biggest, I guess, um, I guess flaw, I, I guess you could say my biggest strength and my biggest weakness is never being satisfied. Um, it is, a it is a real problem. Um, but, but also it is the reason why I continue to push and can be accountable to myself. Um, but it is, it is a, it is a huge challenge. Um, but, but as you said, that that is why I am constantly, you know, needing more, <laughs> which which is kind of unhealthy, but also, uh, I guess you know, what keeps me going. I think I think it's a superpower actually. I think never being satisfied is is actually a very important part of of keep building something. Otherwise, you know, you you might just have a small business forever, and that's fine for some people. But I do think that never being satisfied is it's drive, isn't it? I think it's drive you're identifying there. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I think my, my, you know, people often ask me, you know, what, what is, if you could distill what is important as an entrepreneur, what is important, um, you know, uh, in building a business. And I, I typically like to, to say perseverance is probably one of the key kind of attributes. Um, now there is a fine line 
um, between perseverance and being crazy. Um, I certainly stayed in businesses uh, probably a year too long or a year and a half too long just because I've just kept grinding at it. So, but, but I think that the truth be told, I mean, that is to me the most important attribute when it comes to building a business. I would, I would say it's better to spend a year in a business too long than a year too short. It's, uh, I've never thought of it that way, but I think I'm going to write that down. That's quite, uh, quite insightful. Yeah, who, who's interviewing who right now? I, I'm supposed to be getting the great quotes from you. Sorry, I'm giving my own ones. But do you think entrepreneurs are, are born or bred out of interest? Oh, I mean, that's a good question. Um, I think, I mean, I, oh, there you go. You, Sorry, exactly. Spotify, Spotify folks. Sorry. That was an alarm. That was an alarm about this podcast. It's 24 minutes late. Um, anyway. Yeah. That's a dig at me, <laughs> the, folks. We started this podcast late today, but I can take it. The, um, no, it's not. Um, the, uh, I, no, I think, I think, I mean, gosh, I don't know how to answer that. I do think a lot of it is actually nature. I mean, you just, I mean, or, or you need to build an amazing partnership or team so that you kind of have these complementary skill set. But if you're a singular entrepreneur, there is a lot of, 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 of kind of being born with this drive and this kind of chip on your shoulder um, and, and, and the ability to do sales, right? Like you just need to do whatever it takes to get your product out there. And I, I don't know, I think that can be learned, but, um, but I don't know how, you know, I'm, I've always been of the belief that you learn by doing. So, um, you know, I guess you, you'd have to just keep doing and then you can become, you could become an entrepreneur in that, in that space. Yeah, I think you've identified something there. There is an element of entrepreneurship which is just going out and playing the game. Whereas if you're a doctor, you can't just start surgery. You know, you've got to go and get some yeah. training. But but I think for being an entrepreneur, that's why I say the younger you start, the better, right? I mean, what age did you start being an entrepreneur yeah. and give up the pro golfing dream? No, I mean you're right. I, I think about this a lot. I mean, the, the funny thing is, you have the statistics that like the average successful entrepreneur starts a business at forty in the United States. So a lot of the media spins incorrectly. But, but you're right. I mean, I, I started my first business at 27 and to be honest, the amount of energy and willingness to, to fail, uh, was considerably higher 10 years ago than it is now. Um, you know, life, life does get more complicated. Um, and, and as a result, the, the, your risk, you know, you just become what, what more risk averse in, in that respect. So, um, I do, I do tell most people, look, you know, the younger you can start and just dive in, you know, the more you can fail, right. Which is the best, the best time to do it. Yeah. I, I, I know what you mean as well about the media. Sometimes, you know, they throw this thing around about, you know, the guy that started KFC was 65 and yeah, and I get it and there's nothing wrong with that, but I think there is an element that is missing the main point, which is often starting a business involves lots of failures before you get a success. So the younger you are, the more failures you have time to make really. Right. So, but do you think, do you think, um, I have this theory around luck being a key ingredient to success. I, I actually think, I, I was very lucky in business. Now people are always polite and say, no, Simon, you worked hard. But actually I worked less hard, got more lucky. Um, but what, what do you what do you think about luck? Does it play a role? Uh, I mean, it, it's it's probably 
one of the largest roles. I mean, whether you call it luck or you call it timing, um, you know, timing and luck are, I would say now being on the investor side feels like it's 50% of, of the chance of a business succeeding. Um, now, what I would like to define there is I am of the belief that you can make your own luck, right? Meaning you, you, the, the, you know, if you're going to go and, and, and get on that plane, if you're going to, you know, go speak to that guy at a conference, if you're going to just go into that store and try to sell your product, right? You're, you're making that first step. And then in that action, you might get lucky, right? So there is, Luck also has a lot to do with how much effort you put in. I, I do think that people who put in effort tend to get luckier. <laughs> so, so there is a there is a combination there that I find uh, is very true. Well, I mean, I discussed this saying feels like on every podcast now, but it's like the lucky you, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Is the is the is the saying that gets thrown around a lot? But I do think there is an element of, you know, the harder you work, the sicker you get. <laughs> The, the, the harder you work, the harder it gets. <laughs> and I know myself, you know, when I, when I, when I had my own companies, I brought someone else in to run them. I actually worked less hard and, and I got more successful because uh, you mm-hmm. kind of let go. Um, but you just mentioned there about the investing side and, and tell us a little bit about what, what your ethos is there, what you're doing there. No, I mean, I'm just, I, look, I, I've been lucky enough to, to, to meet people who, you know, want to give me money and, and lucky enough to, um, to also make some money. So, um, you know, we, we now have a, a small venture capital fund called New Territory Ventures, which I think you'll find kind of funny given that it's, you know, New Territory Hong Kong, New Territory kind of new investments. And, um, uh, and, and basically, yeah, we look at B2B food tech businesses. So again, things I understand, things I know um, in supply chain and food tech, but um, it's been completely different. I mean, to step from the entrepreneur t- side of the table to the investor side of the table is, a, um, is, is crazy, right? It's been, um, it's been a lot of fun. It's been super insightful. And I really feel like I'm learning a ton every call I have with a new entrepreneur. So that's... Um, been very exciting for me personally i find that about doing the podcast i've been an entrepreneur my whole life but every time i do a podcast with someone i learn something new which is you know part, yeah. part of it but it, what what i mean a lot of people um what would love the idea of moving from like an entrepreneur into the investor side is, is it something you're enjoying or, or is it something i mean you mentioned the learning piece there do you see it as a long-term thing or, or, or how do you feel about I, that I do, world? I, do, I do i mean i um I mean, look, I'm, I'm very early. I mean, I'm only, you know, I'm less than a year in, so I can't really tell you yet. I mean, you need kind of a three, four years to see, you know, if any of your decisions actually panned out and succeeded. Uh, so, so it'll take me another three years to see if any of the companies we actually invest in actually turn a profit or, or give us a return. But I will say that um, I, I enjoy the energy of speaking to fellow entrepreneurs. I love being an entrepreneur and being able to give advice from entrepreneur to entrepreneur. So it feels very different than a lot of the investors I've had, right? I've had a lot of kind of financial investors or institutional investors or venture capital investors that really were never entrepreneurs. So it has, it never felt like, you know, they, they really understood my pain. Um, and, and what I try to do now it is is have that empathy on some level 
um, and, and, and understand, okay, I, I know how hard it is, but I can also call bullshit, right? Like if, if you're, you know, I know that if you're complaining about something, like I've been through that and uh, maybe that's not that bad. Um, so it's, it's a good balance, I think. Totally. I, I think there needs to be more real entrepreneur investors. I was looking at the numbers when I started my own investment business, less than 10% of VCs have actually started a startup of their own. You know, you would have we, thought, you would have, you would have thought they'd lift that number up a bit like, you know, when people do sales, they put the TV on sale, uh, but basically one day they make it a thousand dollars and then the next day they say 50% will make it $500, but it was always $500 to begin with. You think that these guys would just go and work in a startup for weeks. So you could lift those numbers, right? And say, I, I started a startup or we'll register a company and say they've got one just to lift the numbers up. But it, it's just crazy to me. So I think there is a need for more people that have actually gone through the pain and understand it. And, and, and invest. So I'm glad that you've entered the space. Do you think in your, in your business profile, you've had a big break in, in what you're doing? I mean, off this, off camera, before we started the podcast, we were chatting a little bit about coronavirus and how that's affected you. Do you, do you, how do you, how do you feel about that? Is that not that it's a big break, but you know, these, these hard moments can bring around positive change, right? I mean, look, yeah, I've had a lot of little breaks. I mean, I, it's certainly been very lucky, um, even though it's been super hard and, you know, I've, I've, I've had panic attacks and anxiety attacks and I couldn't get out of bed or, you know, I'm, I'm you know, crying on the phone to an investor. You know, I've, I've gone through all of those experiences over the last decade. Um, and yet, yet, of course, I've also had all the highs that come with that. So, um, you know, there's, there's really nothing better than, you know, celebrating a million meals sold or celebrating, you know, a million dollar check or celebrating when you get your own money when you sell a business, right? And that first time when you see a real amount of money in your bank account, right? Um, there's, there's really nothing that can, um, it's very hard to explain how that feels, um, so, so certainly, um, you know, that, that has been, uh, I've had a lot of very good breaks, um, in respect to your question around COVID and, 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 and the crisis. I mean, again, you know, we have been quite fortunate being in the direct to consumer food delivery space, um, with NOSH, um, and, you know, have, have, have benefited massively as a result of this crisis, right? We're, we're a super profitable cash flow business now. Um, and, um, you know, we have offers to purchase the company. We have investor offers. I mean, it's quite a, um, it's quite a unique time, but, uh, but that being said, it, it's, you know, it, it's also been, um, you know, just like any other roller coaster ride. Yeah. You, you, you know, I totally get it. Uh, going back to your family history. I mean, your, your parents were entrepreneurs or, you know, how did you, I mean, how did you go from pro golfer to entrepreneur? What was your family like? No. <laughs> I mean, that, don't say pro golfer. I know. Like good amateur golfer. Um, no, but uh, <laughs> I, um, to be to be honest, I mean, I so so no. I mean, my family not at all entrepreneur. My uncle is extreme. My both of my uncles have their own business and are extremely entrepreneurial. My uncle uh, was a very successful entrepreneur. He ran the largest shoe company in Germany and sold it um, for a fortune. Um, so really, uh, you know, never graduated university, sold shoes door to door, right? Like that classic, unbelievable entrepreneur story. Um, and, uh, and so that has always been something that has, um, existed in our family, right? And, and something that has never, it's never, entrepreneurialism has never been seen as a negative 
in, in my family. Right. It has always been seen as a positive and oh, by the way, your uncle's a multimillionaire because of it. Right. So th- th- that's been probably one of the highest resonating things in my family. Um, but but my decision to become an entrepreneur um, was was not uh, by any means thought out. It was not um, it was not. Uh, premeditated really. I mean, honestly, the story that I tell is quite simple, which is I, I was in a in corporate offices um, and, you know, I have to wear a suit. I had to get to work at seven in the morning, always before my boss was there. And I had to always leave after my boss left, right? You had to show the FaceTime and it was just driving me crazy, especially if I finished all my work, you know, within two hours and then you're just sitting at your desk doing nothing. Right. Um, so, and it was one of those days where, you know, it's pouring rain, you get in the office, you're soaking wet, your suit is just soaked and you're like, what the hell am I doing? You look out the window, everyone looks like little ants, like walking into their office buildings and carrying the umbrellas. And you're just thinking to yourself, this cannot be my life. Like I cannot do this. Um, and, and literally on that day, um, I decided that I would stop working and I would start a business. Um, and, and that was the pure impetus for it. It was a very spontaneous decision. And, and you sat down, you didn't yet have an idea and you just decided that you were going to do something and you sat down and came up with an idea. Is that how it played out? Yeah. I mean the first business, so we started the first, my first company was the, if, if you if your listeners are familiar in the U S with blue apron or, or in Europe, hello fresh, right. Um, these are, you know, meal kit delivery businesses. So we all started at the same time, surprisingly, right? Around 2011, everyone started, US, Europe, and Asia. And we, we ran the Asian one called Secret Ingredient. Um, and so we started this business um, primarily because consumers were starting to get more comfortable buying ingredients online. Um, the logistics costs were coming down. Um, and uh, you had the proliferation of uh, subscription um, services. So, so people were comfortable kind of buying a weekly subscription. Um, and that started this kind of meal kit boom. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, I, I just had a friend who was a chef um, and he and I sat down, we looked at the industry and said, look, I think we can do this in Asia. Yeah, secret ingredient. You've uh, brought back a lovely memory. I, your office was uh, two minutes from mine, so used to, uh, yeah. used to see it. Used to do some wonderful cooking classes in there and stuff. But yeah, I mean, um, it, 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 do, do you think your education helped you or hindered you as far as being an entrepreneur is concerned? No, oh, well, my, my fiance is going to be pissed off with me saying this, but I am, uh, um, I'm not really a proponent of the education system. Um, uh, certainly in the United States, um, I, I, I don't think my college degree, you know, really made a difference from an entrepreneurial perspective. Um, I think it helped me meet amazing people and, and network, um, which again, look, the, did, did that benefit me in my entrepreneurial career? Not yet, but it will. I mean, a lot of my friends now from college are quite successful and, you know, have incredible networks in the United States that, that I'm leveraging. So, you know, from a network perspective, um, you know, it was very powerful. But um, from an education perspective, um, honestly, like, I think I would have learned more selling knives door to door. 
and, uh, and, and, and just, you know, getting out there. Um, funnily enough, my father offered me when I was 18 years old, uh, to not go to university. So he said, I'll give you 50,000 us dollars. Um, instead of paying for university, you can just do something else. And my mother shot that down within 30 seconds. I've got a son who's three and uh, that day is coming. I, I am, yeah, I think it's actually a, a, an interesting way to go because not only can you turn that, uh, that, that investment into perhaps a profit-making business, it's uh, far better than just getting into debt and coming out the other side being taught about how risky everything is. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, that's the, that's the main problem, right? I mean, the, the, the idea of starting, I mean, think about it. It is so hard to be an entrepreneur if you're sitting on 80,000 pounds or 100,000 US dollars of debt. Like it is, it is so near impossible to, to take that leap of faith, right? So when, when you look in America uh, around financial aid and, and how much student debt there is, that system hinders the growth of, of, of incredible ideas and incredible talent and incredible entrepreneurs just because, to be honest, they just they can't they can't risk it, right? And I, I respect that. Yeah, I mean exactly that. Strict you later. You have to earn a in in a startup world. It's so hard, isn't it, to earn a guaranteed monthly income, especially at the beginning. But if you have fixed costs, lots of fixed costs, like a mortgage, um, then then these things will kind of tie you down a little bit, right? Yeah. No, I mean, but, but at the same point, I mean, look, I, it, it, it also, I mean, it's also a driver, right? I mean, the, you know, you see a lot of people, if you speak to a lot of different entrepreneurs from different backgrounds, um, a lot of them will say, look, like, you know, these costs that I had were my driver, uh, my, 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 my drive to get out from underneath that. And I did it through business, right? So you do meet people who use, um, those financial limitations to actually build something great um, and, and really kind of lift themselves out of that. Um, so, you know, again, it's quite subjective on, on, um, on how, what, what, what people use to be the driver or the impetus to actually, you know, succeed. Yeah, I think for the listeners, um, the, way, the way I try to explain what you're saying there, my view, and feel free to correct me if you think I've got this wrong, but I think the element you're talking about there, to me, there's two elements. One is the debt that restricts you from perhaps being able to take a risk and start something because you've got those costs. And if you start a business, there's a high chance for a few months you won't have any income to cover those costs. That's not necessarily a driver that can be a restrictor. I think what you're talking about, in my view there, is ambition. You know, like myself, I had no money. Very, a very, a very, very young age. So I, was, I was very driven to get out of poverty. I was very driven to not, you know, live in an awful place. And, and I wanted a nice car and all these things that we want when we're young. And I'm, in part, that's what drove me to work hard. And funnily enough, when I made enough money, I don't need to work anymore. It's very hard to motivate yourself, actually. <laughs> Sounds like yeah. a difficult complaint to have. But, you know, it is, it is, it is um, a, a difficult thing, actually, when, when your driver, perhaps when you're younger, is money and then you get money and you realize that actually money was never really the point, right? But it is a driver. I hear you. I think for a lot of people that, I mean, that's why I also get people like, not a good reference these days, but like Tyson, you know, he's a good street fighter and then he turns that into a career. But if he hadn't had it tough in the streets, he wouldn't have become a successful fighter, right? So that, that, that hardship piece is, is actually quite important. But I do think debt's a different thing. Debt, debt seems to stop people. I agree. I mean, I think, I think um, 
you know, solving the student debt uh, crisis, at least in the United States, um, would would trigger a huge wave of entrepreneurialism. So I'm a huge proponent of of, of solving that um, in the United States, and 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 you know, hope that you know the government can can take um, some initiatives there. Mm-hmm. I think um, to your point, I do think though one of the big challenges in being an entrepreneur is you do see a lot of people. And look, I, I come from a well-off background, right? And so, um, so by no means can I say, look, you know, I, I had a lot of hardships and, you know, I, I recovered from those by any means. Um, I do see, especially out here in Asia, I do see too many well-off entrepreneurs, meaning, you know, these are people who um, can take the risk and kind of have uh, the fallback position or have the, the, the parachute or the net or whatever you want to call it. Um, and that, you know, that, that is, that is a pity because I am a, a firm believer that you need to kind of go into this without a plan B. Like if you're going to start a business, it, it should be plan A and, and that's it. Um, and, and a lot of people, and I, I went to business school, um, in 2011 as well. And you hear this from a lot of MBAs who say, Oh, you know, like I'll, I'll start a business or I'll do it part-time for a year, but worst case scenario, I can just get back my consulting job. Right. If you, if you think like that, I am a proponent that that is just recipe for, you know, mediocrity. Um, and, and so I, I'm a big proponent of, uh, you know, we talked about it earlier, you know, diving in and just getting things done and just getting your hands dirty. But, but in light of that, seeing it really as, as your only plan, right. And, and, and there is, because then you, you yourself cannot accept failure because failure, I mean, this sounds so cliche, but failure is not an option, right? I mean, at least you need to believe that. Um, and this goes back to my initial comment to you about perseverance, right? They all kind of connect in that respect. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting, and I don't know, maybe with your investor hat on, what you when you got into the investment world, you looked at this, but what I noticed as well, there were certain investment companies that will only invest in people from Harvard or from you know, certain certain schools and in my mind and they've done quite well i would add um, but you know in my mind they were always missing a trick because it was the hungry street fighter that you really wanted to invest in someone that went to harvard's probably got a lot of options this business works or it doesn't work it doesn't really matter so but it's interesting because there are a lot of you know let's take mark zuckerberg's of this world bill gates of this world who have all come from that ecosystem you can argue that they came from well-off families but they still had the hunger to follow through somehow but i agree generally um, you need that hunger. No plan B is is totally right. But what do you think about that? What do you think these companies that have this thesis that you should only invest in people from Harvard? Oh, I mean, I mean, from a purely investor standpoint, and I, this is going to sound terrible. Um, you know, there. You know, I mean, I'll give you an example. I mean, we definitely in my fund we look at. Uh, Goldman Sachs alumni, alumni, Uber alumni, Stanford alumni, and INSEAD alumni. Um, those are our, some of our networks that we use. And um, <laughs> so, you know, it is, I, I do agree with your premise. The problem is in the world we live in, and this is terrible to say, but the world we live in, so much of 
early success in the startup world often comes down to who you know, how much you could fundraise, um, who's your first client, who's your first investor, um, who's talking about you, which, who writes a press release on you, right? Like these, 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 these connections, these network effects, um, sadly are still so, so important for other investors, uh, for clients, um, and, and, and so ultimately for early success. And so, you know, that is why you see so many funds invest in what you're calling kind of network communities, um, because they believe that that network community can give that entrepreneur a leg up. And, and I will be honest, I mean, look, the, the, the Uber alumni network, which, which we do make, we, we look at deals. These are basically ex Uber staff who are starting their own businesses. And, and Sam and I get insight into their businesses, right. To invest in. I mean, they really do have a leg up. I mean, they have scaled a business around the globe. I mean, these are people I want to invest in, right. They have an incredible experience. Um, and, and I, I often would much rather invest in them than, you know, a great, idea by a first time entrepreneur. Um, you know, I am a huge, huge proponent that execution always trumps an idea. And, um, and so that's my investment thesis. Yeah. And I understand it. It's, it's an interesting, there's they're almost like a walking conflict in some respects though, because those people have so many choices and so many options that, uh, you know, that, that they, they can, they can have a plan B and a plan C they can try this thing if it doesn't work it's not in the end so it's it's kind of they're kind of in conflict with each other isn't it is having said that i think it's 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 a fascinating point i know even for myself that in my career i've had some lucky moments that's why i've got a podcast called the good luck club because i think it was luck that made me successful and i, I like debating it but you know it, it was really i could tap into someone else's network i didn't need to go to university to get a network i just needed to know max and i needed max to like what i was doing and what i what it was about and then you would help me plug into those networks but that that goes back to your initial question, which is, you know, is it is it nurture over nature um, being an entrepreneur? I mean, what you seem to suggest there is that nature plays a huge role because you need to be the kind of person then who, you know, networks and, and is, you know, out there and meeting people and connecting um, because that is such a central piece. Now, that is something that can be learned, but really is is a is a personality trait. Um, I wonder. I mean, I, I, if I thirty-one podcast interviews ago, I probably would have agreed with you. And and, okay. and since interviewing, I mean, I just interviewed a, a guy. He's a he's basically his opening statement is, "I am very shy," and he's incredibly shy. I'm just reading my son, the Little Mister Men book at the moment, and one of them is Little Miss Shy. He's he's by no mission. He's super super shy and super nice. And he um, but he you know he basically due to his shyness. His clients used to have to come to his office and go into his office and eventually he built a relationship up with someone quite well known in Hong Kong who gave him the money to open up his own restaurant group and now he's got a massive restaurant chain called Womalulu. And he, and he, but he has designed 600 restaurants for people inside his office in a shy way. And through that network, he's built up slowly. He's become very successful. My, my point is that is it, is it a personality trait or is it just persistence? Or is it application or is it a good idea? You know, what is the matrix there? And I, and I, I know what you mean. I mean I, 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 maybe we could have a whole separate podcast just about the concept of investment and a thesis around investment. 
I think that would be an interesting conversation to have um, because I think this, this could go very deep, very quickly. And the podcast purpose today is to, to talk about your story. But but just finishing off, you know, you must be investing in entrepreneurs that are shy. Mark Zuckerberg is hardly an outgoing personality. Do you think it was just his contacts at Harvard that made him successful? Well, no, I mean, we, um, so we, we, I mean, I, I focus more on the team. So, so I, I have, I mean, you talk about my experience, right? I have had, I've been a co-founder and I've been a founder. Um, and I've had all the problems of dealing with co-founders and I've had all the problems of being a lone founder. And, and all I can say is I am a huge proponent of building a business as a team. Um, uh, either with one other person or two other people or three other people, right? Like it is, it is building a business, being an entrepreneur is a very, very lonely exercise. Um, and, uh, and, and having a partner in crime, um, a co-founder. And like you said, right. You know, if one is shy and one is not, um, you know, that that's a great complementary skill set, Right. So, um, so by no means, is there a quote unquote personality trait to be a successful entrepreneur? Um, you know, I think I, I look more at, at the team dynamic um, and how the team handles things. Um, and I, all I could say to people listening here is my, my number one recommendation if you're starting a business is go find a partner. Um, it really is just more fun to build it with someone else. It's more exciting. You get someone to share things with. And you get someone to share things with when it's really shit. Nosh, you are the only founder. You don't have a co-founder, right? Yeah, yeah. So this business was a was a I founded myself. Um, Why have you not um, brought a co-founder in? What's the? Is it just not found well, the we, right? We um, so we we started another business, uh, Spoonful, um, which was a corporate um, a corporate platform. Um, a corporate catering platform. Um, and, and that I did have a co-founder. Um, and, uh, and, and actually she became my co-founder late. So she kind of, she joined, she joined, worked with me for two years and then she became my co-founder, right? A lot of people have this think thought process that, you know, you, you start off as co-founders. The truth is no, there's plenty of it is where people join you know, and, and maybe it wasn't their idea, but they worked their ass off and they, they fall in love with the business and become so passionate that ultimately the CEO and founders, like I need, we need to be partners in crime in this. You need to have a co-founder title. So I think there's a lot of misconceptions about, you know, how to become an entrepreneur. Um, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have an idea. It doesn't even necessarily mean that you have to be there from the beginning. Um, so, um, so yes, I, I have had uh, both co-founders and, and done things on my own. I think that's a great insight for the listeners to pick up on. I think there's two elements I want the audience to, to make sure you don't forget. One is that you can still go join someone else's company, even if it was up and running, and become a co-founder in that business. A co-founder, it's not we started it together, founder. It's we're in it together. So I think that's really important. And second, if you're working in a business today, you know, the, why don't you ask to become the co-founder if you think you're good enough? You know, I think step up. And equally, if you're running a business right now and you feel alone, but you can see in your company there's someone there that's making it work, maybe consider making them your co-founder. I think, I think it's a really interesting point. I have actually done it myself. I've never articulated it 
as you just articulated it, but I've done it myself. I've started a business myself and then over time, great people have joined and then eventually become co-founders and then they become, they replace me, a CEO. And, you know, and they're doing a better job than me in running some of these businesses. And I think that's a really interesting thing to, to, to think about. So I'm, I'm also thinking there's hope that I could come and be your co-founder at NOSH. <laughs> I need to spend two years proving myself to you. <laughs> yeah, you got to put in the time, Simon. So anyone wants to apply um, to Max's company, we'll put the links down below. You feel free. We're running a competition right now. If you think you could be his co-founder, um, just you know, enter his website, send him an email. I'll put his mobile phone number down there too, of That's course, guys. So you just ring him any time, day or night. Feel free. Um, we had 50,000 downloads last month. You should be fine. <laughs> so well, wonderful. Thank you so much uh, for your time. I'd just like to wrap up. I guess this is kind of a lighthearted question at the end. Um, I definitely want to have you back and I'd like to talk about investment and all these other things in depth. But if you went back to your younger self and, and gave, let's say, Max, the uh, pro golfer, <laughs> a tip, what, what, would your, uh, what would your tip be to yourself? What would your advice be to your younger self? Oh man, these you got all these deep questions. Um, this is meant I, to be a lighthearted point, just for the record. This, yeah, this isn't that lighthearted. Uh, I mean, what would I what would I tell my younger self? I I would probably tell my younger self um, to to focus more. Um, I I have the type of personality where I want to try to be good at everything. Right, and I want to do a little bit of everything, um, and certainly when I was younger, um, I, I very much behaved that way, um, and and I should have, I should have at an earlier age, um, really, you know, focused on one area and just dove deeply into that, whatever that may might have been. Well, I'm going to sum up what I've taken away. Um, for the audience I always like to sum up at the end because if people just listen to the end um, then they have to go listen to the whole podcast to get the, the context of each of these points but um, I like uh, I like the personality trait that you have that I think is very healthy actually which is never be satisfied I think that continually improves your business and hopefully yourself too I, I absolutely love and I often have said um, that freedom just like you freedom is really what success is I think that's such a great word to hold up as freedom the ability to do what you want every day that is success to me too so I love it when I hear, hear that because I totally totally agree with you I also think the no plan b thing even if you've got access to a plan b because of your network um, it's still a good mindset to have you know no plan b is a great mindset to have. And if you can be, you know, if you come from a privileged background and you can have that attitude, I think you'd be successful. Equally, if you don't come from a privileged background and you don't have a plan B, you can also be successful. So it's kind of actually universal. I love the idea of promote someone to co-founder or you can become a co-founder through hard work and you don't need to have the original idea. I think a lot of people misunderstand co-founder brand name. And I think it's a good point to remember. I also like point you mentioned during the podcast about how someone if they build a team around them they don't necessarily need to have the entrepreneurial traits and I have seen for example accountants build pretty good businesses by hiring good entrepreneurial talent <laughs> or brought in as partners and good entrepreneurial talents so the team is definitely a way if you're out there and you want to start a business of your own but you don't think you're a typical entrepreneur you can build a team around you that is through a co-founder partnership system and or motivation around the purpose of your business so focus more folks that was the end point from max which is totally also true and i want to thank you max for your time and your insights and i look forward to having you back on the show very soon 
And uh, thanks. Good to see you, Simon. Yeah, it's likewise. been a long time. We'll look yeah. forward to it as well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Good Luck Club podcast. We know you have thousands of podcasts you could be listening to and you've chosen us. We, of course, feel lucky. If you want to hear more, please go to thegoodluckpod.com or go to any of our social media pages and share with us your views, your insights and any way that we can improve what we're doing to make it a better experience for you. We wish you the best of luck.